Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. Is that good? Yes, sir! I know who I am! Did IQs just drop shot? I could have been. I have planned. I like this All shit. It is a horse Dance off, bro. It is your Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. Hello and welcome to Atlantic Screen Connection, episode 8. I'm Jason. I'm Lee. And for episode 8, Lee, this week we're going to be talking about... What are we talking about, sir? Well, we're talking about Seven Samurai. Seven Samurai. Yeah, the, the seminal 1954 classic. 1954 Akira Kurosawa film that won our poll yeah. on Twitter under the hashtag AtlanticSC with 81 votes. Incredible. At 53%. 53% of the people voted for Seven Samurai. And you know what's the best part about that, Jason? What is it? It was my option. It was it was the one I put forward to the people. Out of the four choices, I chose Seven Samurai yeah. for the people. And the people agreed yeah. with me because, well... We have a rapport. They just like me most. I'm sorry. It's the case. I mean, I feel bad for you and all, but... <laughs> oh, don't. Why do you think I partnered up with you? It's because you have a likability. Yeah, I yeah. I've got that mass appeal. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, so that's exactly how we framed it. We, we had put out four choices on the poll. Mine was Scarface from 1932. Uh, my girlfriend, Leslie, had suggested Francis Ha, which got a, a significant percentage as well. I think she got 16% of the vote. Yeah. I got 17. You got 53. And then Maria suggested Greece, which is uh, Lee's wife-to-be. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. That's, I was expecting Greece to win, realistically, because I was just like, everybody knows Greece. And realistically, they might want to hear... Us assholes talk about it for a while, I suppose. <laughs> I, I'm meaning, does she really like the movie, or did she just put it out there to fuck with us? She does kind of like the movie. I actually really like the movie, so I was kind of looking. I was kind of hoping it would win, but uh, oh, okay. I'm happy enough that people picked my choice anyway, so it makes no odds to me. <laughs> anyway, in any case, how are you doing? I um, you haven't had a chance to speak this week. Yeah, I know. I know. We've been busy, I suppose. Oh, I've been I've been, been correcting been exams like yeah. a motherfucker. I know. We had to delay our recording because you've got. Really work to bring home that's a nightmare <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> uh, have food to provide and kids to not let die which is great you selfish prick <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I'm fine uh, I well I'm, I'm recording this a little hungover if that helps <laughs> but Oh, really? Yeah, I know. I, I, I had a few drinks with my uh, my parents and Maria last night. So if, I, if, if this doesn't sound like my A game, it's because it's not. <laughs> ah, I'm pretty sure they'll find it convenient uh, with every other week. Yeah. <laughs> you prick. You met consistent. How's you, man? <laughs> uh, I'm doing quite well, actually. I, uh, I've i got a lot of correcting done, but I still have a hundred and some odd, I think 150 other essays to correct right now. And that's what work is like for me. I have grammar tests to correct but uh, I'll be getting most of that done this week because uh, they have other exams so I have another, yeah. another 150 coming in <laughs> so Jesus. I have to correct all that and other than that I managed to celebrate Force Friday Force which Friday is, is uh, not a thing <laughs> they all, shut up they already they, <laughs> they already have May the 4th I mean they can't just have more Star Wars days <laughs> every day is Star Wars no, Day no this is every unreasonable we have Wars other day. things to watch <laughs> Other, 
other franchises yeah, to like celebrate. Stupid <laughs> fucking baking shows. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I've added to my my repertoire of um, crappy daytime or like late evening TV. I now watch a dancing show as well. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> You're just, you're just jealous, man. <laughs> you're jealous that I have such great taste in TV. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> no, and that's it. I guess that's about it for me. Uh, my daughter told me this week that she wants to make movies, so that's great. I actually sent out a wow. picture this week, a Twitter, of uh, my daughter watching Terminator 2 for the I first time, that. which was that kind was of brilliant. fun. That was adorable. I loved it. <laughs> exactly. Like, just wide-eyed, her hand just reaching up to her mouth to cover it. And so I missed the good. opportunity of taking a better shot of her because at one point she literally put both hands up when she saw like the, the T-1000 stab the guy through the eye. She was like, oh my god, what is that? Oh my <laughs> so, god, that's amazing. Anyway. You, you would love to have those moments captured. Yeah, man, it's going to be great. All right, so enough banter. We're hoping this pleases you guys out there because I hate talking to Lee. <laughs> <laughs> Another week with this oh. prick. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I was forced to watch a trailer because I hadn't watched any trailers this week. So I'm going to let you start this ball of rolling there, sir. What trailer did you force me to watch this week? <laughs> <laughs> I forced you to watch the, the only trailer I seen this week, which was Dog Eat, Dog Eat Dog, the latest Paul Schrader directed action movie starring Nicolas Cage and Willem Dafoe. And uh, what, what did you think about it, Jason? <laughs> I, it looked like a poor man's nice guys, a really shitty version of Boondock Saints crossover with, I don't know, bit parts of what Schrader's done before in the past and mm. just really second tier Brian De Palma crap. <laughs> I have no interest in this fucking movie at all. Yeah. So thank you, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, I'll, it looks, there's certain parts that look funny, but it looks like forced humor. It seems like it's predictable. Uh, it doesn't seem like it's going to be going anywhere that it needs to go yeah. because I feel like I've seen this movie before. It's pressing all the buttons that I typically would want to see, but it seems to be doing it in a way that I'm like, oh, come on. No, yeah, you know, that's the thing. I, the note, the only note I really wrote about it is that it looks, like you said, like a bad Shane Black script. <laughs> uh, yeah, but then I, I, I like watching terrible Nicolas Cage films. I love watching Willem Dafoe being fucking weird Willem Dafoe. <laughs> but I thought there was one glimpse in the trailer of getting to see Willem Dafoe look himself in the mirror and go crazy Willem Dafoe like he always does in all his movies. So I was kind of hoping that this might turn out to be at least another opportunity to see him go a little nuts again. But like, I don't know, Nicolas Cage sounded bored as fuck. The plot seemed hackneyed and the violence was violent D and yeah, what do you want? He mentions like, you know, the, the forced joke at the end of the trailer is like, we have to be like the samurai, which is kind of fun because it plays into what we're going to be talking about today. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, Willem Dafoe just says Jackie Chan and you're like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Random humor, lol. <laughs> exactly. I was like, uh-huh, uh -huh. he's the dumb guy. Yeah, I get you. Whatever. But yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's Dog Eat Dog. You can watch the trailer. I'm not going to say watch the film. I'll, I'll probably see it at some point because I have to see films. It's what I do. But uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'll, I'll do it based on your recommendation. If you tell me to go watch it, I'll watch it. Yeah, but other than that, uh, you know, it's not something I'll rush to see. Yeah. I'll include the trailer in this because, I mean, although I'd say I'm, I'm a Paul Schrader fan, I'm more a fan of his early writing, you know, Raging Bull and Taxi Driver and things like that, sure. which are fantastic movies in and of themselves. But, I mean, he's never 
really been a director that I like. Even there was a movie that came out in the 90s. I don't remember exactly what year, but it was called Affliction. It was nominated for Academy Awards and Nick Nolte was in it and all that. And I remember watching that movie and finding it incredibly boring to the point where even my mom was like, why the hell is this movie getting so much recognition? Yeah. It's boring as shit. I'd say like that the characters are well developed, but it doesn't make for a really interesting story. Fair enough. So, but that's it. And I'll include the trailer because I don't mind helping him out to get his, his stuff out there, getting people aware of it, you know, make up their own minds on it. There is an audience for this movie. I know it. I know there's Has an audience for this movie, yeah. but that's it. Fingers crossed, hoping for the best. My expectations are, like I said, at the bottom of the barrel, <laughs> where the Paul Schrader stuff usually is. And if it turns out to be good, then I'll be I'll have been proven wrong, and that's fine. Great, that's fine. Perfect. So here you go, guys. I'm going to include the trailer for Dog Eat Dog. Enjoy, and we'll be back after this short break. Jackie Chan. <laughs> there was me. There was Diesel, and there was Mad Dog. We all did our piece at different times, and I was the last to come out. Once you were in, staying out is all but impossible. That's it. Hey, bro, look at this. This ain't no cop car. These chaps decided to throw me a welcome home party. You gotta get us some real work, because this is your kind of life. Ever. What's the gig? This guy, he's got a one-year-old out in the heights. I need you to snatch him. I don't know, man. Kid's still a baby. He ain't never gonna know. If he was four or something, I'd never be doing that. He wouldn't do that. This is the game plan. Big job for us, baby napping. Well, that don't sound so good. It's not, and I'm not saying it is. Baby, don't come there's a gig, and there's a lot of money at the end. Run away to Hawaii. It never works out. I think it does sometimes. You just don't know about it, because they run off to Hawaii, and you don't ever hear from them again. You have absolutely no idea how to control your emotions. Ah, just take our money. We won't say anything. Ah! We're going to call the police the minute he gets away. No, we are not. I didn't want justice. Am I under arrest? Just wanted what I wanted, just like everyone. Oh, you guys are so. Oh, you scared me. <laughs> Why am I scary? You feel like you got trouble. When I started thinking, once you've had money, you're never 100% sure who your friends are. You're gonna go down. It's gotta be samurai style. Jackie Chan. And welcome back. I hope you enjoyed the trailer for Dog Eat Dog. I sure And did. so that brings us to our <laughs> second our second segment, which is, what did you watch this week? What did you watch this week, sir? Yep, uh, this week I seen Anomalisa, the uh, Charlie Kaufman, Duke Johnson, Duke Johnson, directed stop-motion animated film. It came out this year in the UK. It uh, was out last year in the Americas and so on, because uh, obviously it got nominated for uh, the Academy Award for Best Animated 
animated feature, uh, which it didn't win. I uh, can't remember who won. Uh, must have been a Pixar. <laughs> Basically, it's about this character. Kind of this, it's quite short, but it's kind of like this focused character story about this. What I would say is a, is a pretty unlikable character uh, who's going through something that uh, I guess uh, probably a good number of people go through at some point in their lives. You know, doubt of where you are and, you know, you get kind of bored of what you're looking at. No matter, you get too comfortable with, with, with what you've achieved. Uh, like all Charlie Kaufman films, it's a little, um, you know, it turns its premise on its head a couple of times and he, uh, it's, it's, it's well written narratively and so on and it's got a few good uh, funny moments, I guess, but uh, generally I found the film a little too cynical and a little too screenplay. Kaufman's great at screenplays. It's it's what he does, you know, and I've loved his previous work, like uh, being John Malkovich and adaptation, and, and I, I yeah, love what absolutely. he does when it comes to how he sees filmmaking. I love the way he tackles <laughs> that. I found Anomalisa, despite it's it's got this great stop-motion feel, the style of the puppets that are involved are great, very human, well-utilized, but I found, other than that, there wasn't much in the way of that kind of fuckery with the, with the format. You know, it was just a stop-motion animated film, which is fine, and I don't hold him to that expectation that he has to do something crazy every time he makes a film. But at the same time, given the focus narrative itself, I feel like we didn't spend enough time with the character in the short run we had. I feel like we never got any real reason to sympathize with him, which is fine. We maybe didn't have to, but personally, that's not how I like to see a film. I like to see at least a, a glimmer of a human beneath the surface, and I saw that in general, but I didn't see it through this character. That's it, though. Good performances, and I'd say if you're a fan of Kaufman stuff, I mean, it's not his best work, but it's definitely worth checking out, but yeah, I don't know. That was Anomalisa. Go see it if you want to see it. <laughs> I'll, I'll eventually get around to it. I, I like Charlie Kaufman's work. I mean, mm. Eternal Sunshine on the Spotless Mind is, is is a screenplay by him. I'm one of the few that actually enjoyed uh, uh, the screenplay for uh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. I like right. that movie quite a bit. A lot of people like didn't particularly take a liking to it, but I mean, Sam Rockwell's performance in there is just genius. I thought it was great. Also, I mean, Synecdoche, New York is is wonderful film as well. I mean, you could see, like you said, I mean, he's, he's pure deconstruction when it comes to making uh, films, right? Yeah. Yeah. scripts and things like that so he plays with with um you know the narrative structure so well that it's kind of interesting but i mean that's exactly what i had heard about anomalisa where now you feel like it's forced just a little bit too far sure where he's kind of playing with it and you feel like he's playing with it just for playing with its sake. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the playing that he does with it in this case isn't very isn't very interesting and I don't feel it services the plot very well, but more than that, I just feel like it just felt like a screenplay, you know, like when you could tell you're right. you're re you're basically reading a screenplay, but it's there on screen and right. that your film doesn't have any real sense of immersion at all. Mm -hmm. If unless that's right. the point of the film, which it I don't think it was. Uh in this case specifically, I mean, I'm sure there are other cases where immersion's the last thing you want to do and that's the point. In this case, I feel like a little bit of immersion would have pushed the character study a little further, and we never got that because I felt like we were just so clearly watching a screenplay unravel, you know? Uh, it's, an it's an obtuse kind of way of looking at films, but that's how I choose to see where this fails, because if you're going to be highbrow, you got to be highbrow in, in an interesting way, and uh, I didn't think this one ticked the box for me. Lots of people, I'm sure, will love it, but me personally, I thought it was a bit of a, a, a disappointment just on its own sake. 
Drake not compared to other Kaufman work just on its own narratives premise yeah. I don't think it went far enough and I don't think it was interesting enough and that's fair that's a fair point a lot of people when they're sitting down to watch like one of their favorite directors movies or even one of the favorite screenwriters movies fail to see that maybe this would be a, one of their lesser efforts even if there's a lot of effort yeah. involved I mean I remember sitting in the movie theater watching Wes Anderson's Darjeeling Limited and being like this is far from being his best work but I remember going to I used to be at work I used to work at HMV in Montreal on the corner of Peel and St. Catharines and uh, one of my co-workers the person that I used to work with she came in and said did you did you like the movie and I was like it was all right she says are you insane it's probably the best movie he's ever made and I was like oh. I'm sorry but no it's not and so and I, <laughs> I, I I think that sometimes like Charlie Kaufman if ever I was to kind of suggest a movie of his to to someone that isn't necessarily into cinema they might actually be you know put off by how gimmicky his movies are yeah yeah I, I get that definitely yeah. I, I find I, I would be very hard-pressed to recommend Kaufman to people all right uh so yeah what did you see um oh yeah okay you only watched one okay my turn <laughs> Uh, I got the chance to watch uh, two and a half movies this week and I'll start with The Half uh, cool. because everyone had been talking about Snowden I had talked to Leslie my girlfriend about the movie and she one of her co-workers had mentioned have you seen Snowden yet and luckily enough being here in Quebec Snowden only plays at 10pm at night in English and it's just fucking annoying so we're not po we're possibly going to have to wait for it to come out on video again um, sure. so she wanted to know a little bit more about who Snowden was, what he was imply, uh, like what he was implicated in, and what, 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 how he fit into history right now. And so I had already seen Citizen Four, but she hadn't. And so what I decided to do is start Citizen Four with her. We started a little bit late on Wednesday night, so we haven't finished that yet, and uh, that's it. Yeah. So I, I'm giving Citizen Four another whirl. I love it. Anybody who hasn't seen that documentary is a must-see viewing, in my opinion, for everyone. I'm one of those somebodies. <laughs> okay. uh, do yourself a favor. It's a lot of very good information. So I'm going to leave yeah. it at that. Uh, the one cool. that really got to me this week that I really, really loved was Hello, I Am David. It's a movie yeah. that's on Netflix right now. And it revolves around David Helfgott. Anybody who thinks they've heard that name before, then you've seen the movie Shine, which is uh, basically a movie where Jeffrey Rush plays a pianist. I think the movie came mm. out, I, it's either 94 or 96. It might be 95, anyway, one of those three years. And uh, it's always been one of my mom's favorite films. And she showed that to me uh, like I, I, when I was a teen. She says, watch this movie, you're going to love it. And I sat down and watched Shine, and I think I've seen it maybe seven or eight times, and I really, really appreciate it. And it's really what put Jeffrey Rush on the map as an actor, as we know him today. Right, right. The movie itself, Hello, I Am David, is basically uh, a documentary crew that's following David Helfgott, who has basically have, had his, has risen to fame, finally, as, as a concert pianist. He's been traveling around Europe, and... Um, for those of you that don't know who David Helfgott is, uh, he's a world-renowned pianist, but at a young age, he had a nervous breakdown. And I think during his nervous breakdown, anything of any malice of any sorts left his body and left him in this pure, innocent state uh, of how mm. human beings, in my opinion, should be towards each other. He's just happy to be alive. Everything that he touches he finds beautiful sure, and it's yeah. just amazing mm -hmm. he must be very exhausting to be around i mean you can see his wife you know talking about like okay you got to put that down you can't touch this we're not doing that we're not going over this way you have to stop talking right, to these right. people and so they're always constantly revolving around him trying to make sure that he's going to be okay but then you kind of it, it's very endearing and when he sits down at the piano the passion he has for life just extends onto the keys and what comes out of that person is just magnificent magnificent 
magnificent music. I could listen to him playing the piano forever. I don't mind. And so if ever you guys get a chance to watch the movie Hello, I Am David, I can't recommend it enough. It is beautiful. It brought me to tears at a couple of places because I just think that he's a beautiful, wonderful human being and there aren't enough people like him on the planet. And so, yeah, yeah. it was really, really interesting to watch that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the first I've ever actually heard of him. I actually do, I think I've heard of the film Shine. To where I didn't know it was, it was a biopic at all, but that that sounds super interesting. I definitely have to look him up. I'm not at first to, to, to pianists in any way, so I don't see why I wouldn't. Oh yeah, but I mean, I was just scrolling through looking for something on Netflix to watch, but when I clicked on Hello, I Am David, I was like, what is this? He looks like a monk. And then when I clicked on it, and I was like, it's David Helfgott, I was like, oh my God, this is, the, this is who Shine is based on. I have to watch this. This is going to be great great and oh, it turned out amazing. to be such a wonderful experience so great yeah. great and lastly the the last movie i went to see uh, and i have to say a big thank you and i love you to my girlfriend she brought me to see charlie chaplin's the gold rush with a live orchestra playing here in quebec city and my god was it ever a beautiful experience i couldn't yeah. believe how amazing it was I, I actually got choked up a little bit when the first images of the gold rush came on because it was my first time seeing a Charlie Chaplin movie on a big on screen. On the big screen. And it was Crazy. it was glorious. It was glorious. It looked amazing. Can't believe see. it. Yeah. And uh, just when they start playing the music, it just to tell you how awesome it was to be with a live orchestra, uh, there is something in it for everyone, right? I'm there mm. for the movie and I'm there to watch whatever the movie is. And I'm also there to experienced the music firsthand however these guys were playing so well that i forgot they were there at one point and i was just watching the movie yeah sure of course that's the, that's the hope isn't it for the, on their behalf you know that you don't really take notice of them yeah <laughs> but at the same time which is interesting because my girlfriend told me i am not necessarily that much into black and white films so i was watching the musicians more than i was watching yeah the film. yeah sure and so i thought that was a really interesting take on on the experience you know so she got yeah her yeah. money's worth and i got my money's worth and it was just great That's amazing and it gave me a new appreciation for the gold rush uh because i didn't I, i've always liked the gold rush but it's never been one of my favorites uh my sure. favorites you know it will include obviously the kid i i am a big fan of mr verdue which most people aren't i think it's one okay. of uh chaplin's really uh, interesting pictures uh, the Great Dictator, obviously, but I, I've, you know, Modern Times to me is probably one of the best right there. And obviously City yeah. Lights. So those are the monuments mm -hmm. that stick out. But um, the Gold Rush, seeing it on the big screen, gave me a much, uh, uh, a greater appreciation for the film and how Chaplin is actually able to build tension. I found myself watching right. the movie and going like, oh my God, what's going to happen? But I'd seen this movie at least five <laughs> or six it. times. <laughs> and I'd seen this movie many times. And I just, just seeing it on the big screen with the music, it kind of really like brought this tension you know the suspense of how he was going to yeah. shape the scenes you know how he is able to treat serious subjects with a dose of humor you're supposed yeah, you're not supposed uh -huh. to be laughing at these people being famished you're not supposed to be laughing about these people going through a rough financial time and Chaplin builds his tension with whatever's going on on screen with his comedy in a way that is informative and at the same time humorous and seeing it on the big screen gave me a bigger appreciation for the messages that he was putting out there because for a movie that dates back to 1925 that is impressive direction one experience I would I would love to have done something like that or 
I'm sure something will come up, but, you know. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure there'll be something. Uh, I, I, I've never seen an orchestra live, even, you know? So, I mean, okay, like, that's something I always like wanted to do. So, uh, yeah, to combine those two would is like a dream. So, I, I'm yeah. incredibly jealous. And uh, But uh, it, it will happen. I just have to believe it will happen, and that will be that. <laughs> oh, yeah. My, one of my friends, one of my really good friends, Pierre-Olivier, uh, went to see The Godfather with a live orchestra. And wow. I was like, motherfucker, why didn't you tell me in advance? I would have taken the trip down to Montreal to go see that. Fucking yeah, man. Jesus Christ. But yeah, anyway, so if, yeah. if ever you guys get a chance to, if, if a Charlie Chaplin movie period is coming to your town and they're playing with a live orchestra, do yourselves a favor. It's a wonderful experience. I'm hoping that I'll be able to see another one of his films with uh, that track. My special request would actually be um, Murnau's Sunrise. And I really love that film. And if I was to choose one that could be adapted into that thing, I would love to see Sunrise. Perfect. Well, yep, that's what we watched this week. Very good. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I don't know if there's a, if there's a trailer for Seven Samurai. I'll try to find one. <laughs> it's going to be in Japanese, <laughs> so it's going to be interesting. <laughs> that would be hilarious. I'm sure people would really appreciate it. To, get you, to put you in the mind of what, three, uh, nearly three and a half hours of just back-to-back Japanese sounds like we, hopefully we can get a, like a two-minute clip of just that on its own <laughs> yeah yeah I think <laughs> that'd, be, that'd great. be great I'll find a clip you know just to put them in the mood for it so that's it uh, obviously yeah. I'm sorry it's gonna be in Japanese no one's gonna understand shit so if you <laughs> if you get frustrated just fast forward a little bit because the conversation Lee and I are about to have is actually going to be really interesting so stay tuned ladies and gentlemen サムライの墓が彼らの優しい心と勇ましい行為は今なお美しく語り伝えられている。彼らこそ侍だ。ロサは諦めがく強烈な女子。彼らはこの旗の元に戦った。こういうわけだ、ほら。ほら、田んぼの田の字。つまり百姓たち。この村だな。この丸は俺たち。最後の決戦の日は雨だった。
Hello and welcome back to our feature presentation of this week. I hope you enjoyed the uh, the uh, Japanese trailer we've dug out for you. <laughs> As you might not be able to tell, because you probably don't speak the language, we are going to be talking about Seven Samurai, the Akira Kurosawa film. 1954, got Toshiro Mifune in it, and uh, Takeshi Shimura, and a bunch of other, well, obviously, at least five more names on top of a bunch of other supporting actors. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and so, the villagers. Uh, it, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's it's hailed as a modern, uh, not a modern classic of cinema, a, a classic of cinema. Its basic summary is a set of bandits attacking a small uh, forested village uh, of, of farmers. They steal their produce and the farmers band together to, to the nearest town to assemble an army as best they can afford. And that turns out to be the Seven Samurai, a mixed bag of different varying skilled warriors and unskilled warriors who ultimately, for various reasons, get involved in what is basically, at least to most of them, a suicide mission. Uh, yeah, and that basically lays that out. One of the big ins- inspirers. It's brought us, obviously, the Magnificent Seven, but also, you know, Star Wars has a big cl- claim to it, you know. And piles and piles of modern blockbusters and epics, I would say, have a lot to thank it for. But let's first go to just general uh, experience and impressions. Jason, how was your time with Seven Samurai? You know how my time was, Lee. <laughs> this is why well, I want toy. you to admit it on, <laughs> admit it on recording right, for the people. <laughs> Okay, this was my third attempt at watching Seven Samurai. I The first time I watched the movie, I didn't understand what the hell people were talking about, and I ended up falling asleep and never watching it again uh, for a long time. Then after that, I decided, because I was being put pressure on by one of my friends, because he really enjoyed it. It's a guy I don't talk to anymore. And I watched it again a second time, fell asleep on it that time as well. And I basically started seeing it as this... Film that I probably would never get done watching um, because I just couldn't see why this was considered an epic. Hold on, you fucking film nerds out there. I'm getting to the good part. (laughs) Now, because this won the poll, it gave me an excuse to revisit the film. That was my idea behind it. I mean, if anything was going to make me watch it, it would have to be the show, I would imagine, saying... Hey, sit down, spend three and a half hours of your life, you know, chiming in on this classic that you, you know, people tell you you have to watch. So yeah. I, I put it I put it in the hat for an excuse to say if we won, then there's no escaping it. We have to do exactly. it. Exactly. Jason had, Jason had already mentioned to me that he had fallen asleep to it before yeah. because Magnificent Seven came out and we were talking about, you know, that. So, yeah. And then I sat down to watch it a third time. But this time, they say third time's a charm. I guess. <laughs> now, I'll spoil this by saying I didn't stay awake. I did fall asleep on it three more times. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You are a, you're a nightmare. <laughs> I, don't, I don't fall asleep during films. How you managed to do it three times in the one film was incredible. Yeah, well, I don't know. I think that it's just my nature with epics. Uh, I have yeah, trouble maybe. sitting through epics. It's just that at, at sure. a three-hour and 20-minute runtime, for me, as a person that, that has like high attention deficit, I cannot sit through that without becoming extremely jittery, and then it puts me flat out to sleep. It just turns me off. Sure. This time around, I, I did fall asleep three times. However, I really loved this picture. 
I really loved it. Yeah. Even in the sequences. I mean, the reason why I had to confess is because Lee has something that he's holding against me right now. <laughs> I hadn't finished the movie until one hour before the recording. And my girlfriend, so beautiful as she is, <laughs> sent a picture sent to me, Lee of me yeah. sleeping on the couch watching the fucking movie. <laughs> and hilarious. so Lee... Lee will be able to frame that and give it to me at one point. Here's yeah. Jason sitting through Kurosawa's <laughs> epic masterpiece. But that being said, I love the picture. I love the picture. I have a lot to talk about. I want to know what you thought of the picture, and I want to know how you stay awake during movies. <laughs> the trick is not to watch them, you know. <laughs> That's as, as a critic, I, I prefer not to actually look at the screen. I just make shit up and put it on my website. And then people yeah, well, seem to agree, you know? You can lie to people all the time. <laughs> yeah, some, some critics do that, it's funny. I agree, the long time, uh, the fucking long time, the, the runtime of this film is egregious at best. It's almost impossible to recommend to people to watch this film. Oh, you can't. You have to be a film guy. Yeah, you, yeah exactly. You have to be a nut like us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm totally with you. I absolutely adored this film. I, uh, yes, I, I, I didn't fall asleep. I admit to pausing it a number of times to, to rally effort, to rally spirit. Uh, mm-hmm. I actually, I, I took like a 20 minute break and then I played it again and, uh, it was five minutes and then it was the intermission and I didn't know there was going to be an intermission. I thought it was just going to oh, go boy. straight forward. So I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. They just waited that just extra five the, uh, minutes. It was like they were kind of just building to a speech moment, and I was like, "Oh, you know what? This might go on a while. I'll uh, I'll uh, take some time out, refresh myself, and then I fucked it up." But at least I got to skip the intermission, so that was fine. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's generally I like want to just brush over all we have to really say about it. It's gorgeous. It's yes. It as as an epic, it feels it's as 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 gritty as I can imagine a nineteen fifties version of those events to look I, I love the characters there's so much fun in this for its time it's just I, I couldn't have expected more from it I, I, I generally expected not to really like it at all and I, I came away just kind of blown away by it so it did its job it, in my head it lives up to that classic moniker as far as not that I'm you know the, the, the most first film critic of them all but I mean <laughs> as far as I know this is this has been you know I, I I can tell that this sort of deserves its praise put it that way oh yeah I mean if you look at it like from 1954 what's coming out at that time that's actually worth that significant epic style you know sure especially you know I mean I'm not I have to be honest I mean I'm not the biggest connoisseur of Japanese film Kurosawa especially it's one of those little blemishes that I have on my my film watching you know resume but now I'm looking forward to watching you know I'd seen snippets of 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 other films because I know that Kurosawa is a guy who really likes Shakespeare so I'd seen snippets of Throne of Blood I've seen Slippets of like the bad sleep well um, and thinking, wow, that's interesting that uh, a Japanese director would have an affinity for Western type stories. So I was looking forward. I'm looking forward now to, to spending a little bit more time with Kurosawa, getting to know his pictures because his, his direction and his especially his visual language uh, in Seven Samurai was goddamn stellar. I love this. Great. That's the yeah, important thing. That's the yeah, that's that was what I was hoping would win you over. I was like, oh, uh, he's. I mean, surely, uh, as I, because I started watching it before you did, before, uh, yes. uh, before you sat down for your third go, and as I was watching it, and I was seeing like how how he takes his time setting up like little tableaus, like he takes long takes 
of just one shot and lets the characters breathe in that space and let you get comfortable in these uh, surroundings and lets them speak to the characters. And I was just looking at that and going, surely to God, Jason sees this, you know, this is his fucking shit, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, you, you're right, because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of Stagecoach. John yeah. Ford's 1939 Western is basically the one that started, like, put Westerns, took it, took it from a B level and putting it to the A level status. Right. It's one of the films that brought John Wayne into the public, you know, uh, public eye. And I, when I was watching Seven Samurai, I was like, this guy loves John Ford. <laughs> I was like, this guy loves John Ford. And I understand why a lot of, like, critics in, in Japan might have been a little bit uh, pissed that he would have kind of inserted a little bit more of the Western feel from the United States. Yeah. But Kurosawa was divisive at that time, apparently. You know, and one of the main, um, one of his main antagonists, and apparently he's he's a, a a great film director in his own right. I haven't watched any of his things, but Ozu um, was one of the more traditional J Japanese filmmakers, and Akira Kurosawa decided that he did not want to make Ozu films. He wanted to make Kurosawa films. Right. And he basically tried to adapt whatever he thought was interesting because he thought that Japanese cinema up until that time was very bland. And so with Seven Samurai, he injected a little bit of more of the American feel yeah. into Japanese cinema. And I don't know, I, maybe that's one of the reasons why I appreciated it so much is because yeah. I was like, oh, this is this is very much like John Ford, but it has a very much, a, I can't say a Kurosawa feel because I haven't seen any more of his films, sure. but I'm, I'm interested in seeing where he goes with that. As I was saying earlier, I really liked the visual language of Kurosawa's film. Yeah. Um, the rising sun at the beginning of the film sets up like the circular imagery uh, with regards to how the samurai are, this idea of wandering in and out of town. Yeah, sure. And the silhouette shots of the bandits moving to clear shots are really intriguing to me because they suggest uh, like this looming threat that is rising and will become clear with time as the movie moves forward. Mm. Um, and also the bandits on um, the, like at the beginning, the bandits are kind of like on, on a cliff, I think, and they're staring down at the village. Yeah, yeah. Now, if we take the idea that the sun is at their backs, keeping that silhouette thing, you know, if the villagers are looking up. It kind of recuperates the silhouette imagery of the beginning and the shadows loom large over the village. I thought that was kind of fun. So the, And what I also thought was interesting using that imagery is that the bandits show up in fall. So there's no life in the land. Yeah. Which again contrasts with the end of the film where life is everywhere, where they're actually having things growing. So I, anyway, I like the idea that Kurosawa is playing with the idea of like shadow imagery and circularity and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So, it was kind of fun. I don't know if you picked up on anything uh, with regards to that. Yeah, but the, the the sun is actually... I like how you said about uh, full circle. Uh, hot take-wise, I'd uh, I'd have gone for uh, like an interpretation about the uh, how it plays into the farmers. Yeah. Cyclical, you know, like, yeah. Um, in a cyclic nature, you know. like I, What I love about the, the shadows against the sun is that uh, as far as you know, how the, how the bandits and the sun sort of play into the same image is that um, for the farmers who rely on the sun, also comes with this like on onset danger yeah. that you know they rely on 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 the sun for everything, as we all do. But farmers more than anybody, yeah. and uh, as it 
come, so do the bandits. And it gives the bandits this sort of force of nature feeling about them. You know, like they're just something to expect. Oh yeah, that's a wonderful you know, something that Keep going, man. I love that. It's it's something that it, it much like as the sun rises and falls, as to become these natural and human disasters. Yeah. That the farmers, and what I like about the cyclic nature you said was that because at the end, you know, we get this idea that the farmers, they've won their battle, they're happy and chirpy. Realistically, I, I see the sun and the shadows of the, of the, of the bandits, I see that as something of like a foreshadowing of doom for the, for the farmers again. The, the samurai seem uh, pretty realistically assured that the farmers won this time. The samurai, they have failed, you know, in some way that, that they, they, it wasn't their victory to have. Yeah, yeah, they re- uh, reiterate that twice in the movie, one at the beginning and one at the end, right? This idea that they go yeah, from war yeah. to war and they never win, but the people that they're fighting for actually do. Exactly, yeah, so this yeah. is one for the farmers, but actually, it's not really one for the farmers. Tragically, this seems like it's going to happen again. They might have gotten these bandits, but once the samurai have gone, they walk off into the distance... The farms are defended again. They've they they won't learn have learned anything. They they're pretty. They were very straightforward and simple as people go. You know they weren't. They kept consistently judgmental of the samurai from beginning to end. They don't really thank them at the end. And uh, this sort of nature. It kind of. I I got the sense that nothing had been resolved. Realistically, this was just another day in the cycle. You know, this was the. Uh, this is how. This is this is what farmers have to face. And I, I, I thought with that opening image that uh, I, I, I saw it as pretty pessimistic, realistically, overall. Um, yeah, maybe. I think, like, from the samurai's point of view, but I think that with the villagers actually being part of the fighting back, there is an evolution sure. from the villagers' perspective. I thought it was interesting because the idea that they're rebuilding at the end of the film, like, kind of goes to show that the cycle has been completed. You know, where at the beginning they had nothing. They're huddled in this little group praying to a god that's clearly not going to answer, which is probably something that was a little bit, you know... Kurosawa seems like to be pressing a few buttons there. I love that idea that, you know, for, for a film in like the 50s, he was kind of saying like, yeah, your god's not coming to help you. <laughs> exactly, you know, and it's kind of weird because now towards the end of the film, the villagers... With the help of the samurai, obviously, they've come together as a community, community sorry, and, and vanquished what I considered a plague. You know, yeah, this sure. idea that, you know, our immune system, the strong will survive. And so out of that, because they've actually vanquished this plague, the community itself has grown stronger. They don't they no longer need the samurai, obviously. And that, that is what the dour note that you're kind of sure. bringing up, which I appreciate. But I think that. Kurosawa is saying that obviously these people's cycles will continue. I think, however, that the community of villagers, now that they know that they have the strength in order to fight, might actually be a little bit more resistant, a little bit more prepared. And the fact that they might actually be able to grow crops enough to make themselves stronger for a potential next attack. What's sad is the samurai that actually leaves the town, they just continue on to their next challenge. Sure. Where well, that is their cycle of life, you know. Yeah, so yeah. I don't know. I, I wouldn't say my my, my that... minor caveat on that is that I I, I feel that we get a, a sort of portrayal of what I, I mean by the sort of uh, that sort of robbed victory, you know, like the sort of this is only a, a minor victory in what is ultimately going to be a repeating pattern. I think we see a little bit of that in Shino. Uh, the the girl the the girl character who falls uh, for Katsu, Katsushiro, 
Yeah. Uh, the um, the idea that you know there's this passing moment between the two of them mm-hmm. uh, at the very end. But then it seems as she's the only uh, real person who actually interacts with the samurai after the battle. You know, she's the only one who gives them really any sort of any sort of notice as they leave. You know, the fact that she ref- doesn't so much acknowledge them, but also just goes right back to work and just fits back into the same pattern. Mm-hmm. That makes me feel like they haven't evolved. You know, that they actually they've gotten they've gotten back to what they wanted, which was just comfortable existence. But while the film suggests, you know, they, they took an active part claiming back their land in this fight, I, I saw through Shino the idea that, you know, nothing's changed. You know, it's even though the big statements she had made, the big fight that she had made for the love at the time, it was all just emotions on the day. But past that point, it's back to business. It's back to farming. And ultimately, it's back to, to something that's going to come their way and fuck things up. I kind of saw it that way. I, I it, it, yeah, it's a bit more pessimistic. I, and I, again, it's probably not, uh, you know, the intended vision for it. It should be a genuine victory for the farmers. But I felt that this was only a, a step that would ultimately, you know, be taken away from them at a later point. And I, I, I got that from the the, the bandits and the sun wow. imagery. That's kind of <laughs> it's kind of cool because I got something completely different. You know, the right, way that I cool. was see, I saw the pictures, you know, the way that Kurosawa was framing things up and, and how he uses his camera. I thought it was kind of interesting because the first time we see the villagers, how can I put it? Kurosawa, he paints a, a wonderful picture of like this communal loneliness and despair. Sure. You know, and so the imagery at the beginning suggests this idea of confinement, even in freedom. Yeah. And it's uh-huh. kind of odd because when we see the villagers for the first time, they're huddled in this group. There's nowhere near close to nature at all yeah right? uh-huh. they're just huddled everything is like there's a desert they're basically sitting in sand there's nothing there yeah, right uh-huh. but by the time we get to the intermission you know and then when the intermission stops after like uh, kembe gives his his wonderful speech where he says you know this is the nature of war by protesting uh, by protecting others you save yourselves if you only think of yourself you'll only destroy yourself yeah and then mm-hmm. that the, the you know, that was wonderful because Kembe throughout the entire movie seems to be a guy that's that's very reserved, very wise, and he likes humor. He's, he's you know, he's a guy that seems to be uh, easily approachable. But in that moment, you're like, holy fuck, I had no yeah, idea. He takes, he had... takes the reins. Exactly. He's just, you're like, what the fuck? That was wonderful. It was a powerful scene. I loved it. Yeah, it's But, amazing. you know, after the intermission, you're, you're there with uh, Kikuchio, you know, Mifune's character. And the first shots that Kurosawa puts are these very tight shots of people working in fields where they're the the imagery is then you see these close-up shots of them and grass them and grass he pulls out a little bit and then you see um you know kikuchio kind of putting people in line showing them how to work and things like that so by the end of the movie by seeing them work in nature having this idea of water and uh the soil I thought that there was growth on the community's part. It's not yeah. just an other day. It's really an evolution in terms of uh, how it is. Because if you look at how Kurosawa uses the images at the beginning, middle, and end of the movie, there is a clear evolution in my my opinion. Uh, yeah, that's that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, the fact that uh, the way they raised them, montage-like, to uh, prepare for the battle, and that ultimately they, they keep that form at, by the end... Yeah, exactly. that is that 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 is a good image, and I think yeah, that probably supports your your take on it a little more than mine. I you know, it's one of those things. 
and I'm sure it's going to be for almost everything we approach here, is that uh, the more I watch it, the more I'm going to I'm going to see it because I, I definitely want to revisit this film a number of times over the yeah, next couple of years. Yeah, me too. I got that feeling as well. While I was yeah, watching you know, it. I was just like, I was like, you can only take in asleep. so much information. Yeah, well, obviously, exactly. yeah, but <laughs> clearly, your mind has a has a valve of which it's where it takes too much information and shuts down. <laughs> I love that. That's exactly what it is. It's yeah, like, and then, like, I've learned enough now. Exactly. It shuts down to process the information. Yeah, but like, Wonderful. I feel, I feel like, yeah. First, first reading, this was a lot of the stuff that I could kind of get away with. It's going to be base value, uh, but at the same time, I, I look forward to rereading this again and again. Uh, each yeah. time, I have this feeling that I'm going to walk away completely different opinions of the film. Like, oh, it's depressing. Oh, it's oh, it's so hopeful. Oh, it's it's quite realistic, you know, so on and so forth. It's going to be a back and forth between all these different takes. Yeah, I can already see it. It's, it. It lends itself to being that it's a film snobs film. It's it's got every it's so many images compacted onto each other. Oh yeah, but you you said it so much better when we were talking alone. Sure. You know, you you had sent me a message and said like, "This is a film director's wet dream." <laughs> And I was like, all right, it is, you know, and I, I kind of lent myself to that imagery. I was like taking it all in and probably that's what happened as I shut down. It's just too much to process at the same time. But when you're watching it, I want you to keep a close watch, you know, how Kurosawa goes from close-ups to wider establishing shots, Yeah, which kind of put the audience in, in a position where their eyes can't wander. It's, it's very, very subjective film directing. It's yeah, not well, objective yeah, at all. I, I get that. And so in... Doing that, he kind of sets up this idea of like confi- confinement imagery. I know I talked about this in Captain America Civil War. I don't know if the <laughs> Russos are fans of Seven Samurai, but you know there is this confinement imagery that there is throughout the film. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and he uses where like he uses all these shots where people are kind of peering from behind wooden fences or like openings that aren't necessarily windows, but act as like somewhat like windows. You know, and all those shots create this kind of caged-in feel. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and I, to, to me that's the most prevalent motif throughout the film. You know, it's predominantly related to the well, from what I gathered anyway, from what I was reading and from what I was seeing on screen, the social status of the villagers versus the samurai. You know, this idea that there's always going to be a, a distance between them, even though they come together and work. There is like a, a fence at one point where they can't cross, so you have this idea <laughs> that they're always hiding behind something. You know, but yeah, even uh-huh. like in their own houses, these people are caged in. They don't really know. And there's supposed to be this image of freedom. But no, I, I saw this prison like imagery almost everywhere throughout the movie. Yeah. You know, and just just based on the, the idea, like what I was talking about, the idea that it might be a morality tale. I did pick up on certain motifs that are kind of typical to uh, fairy tales. And the one that was like that really jumped out at me was the um, the idea of going into the woods. Yeah, I'm I'm going to use a quote because when I was in university studying like fairy tales and and children's literature, uh, the woods kept being this one motif that used to come back. And Shakespeare uses it a lot because Kurosawa loves Shakespeare, you know, especially like if you look at Midsummer Night's Dream, the idea that they're wandering into the forest and they they kind of, you know, um, get morphed into different people. People fall in love with different people it becomes a little bit uh, of a skewed reality for them. And then they, they have to wander back into the forest for Oberyn to kind of set everything straight again. And so I'm going to quote scholar Joyce Thomas, who explains that uh, the woods or the forest and fairy tales is the threshold of the supernatural. Uh, the edges constitute a literal threshold between man and nature, the cultivated mm. and the uncultivated, the tame and wild, the known and the unknown. 
And I thought it was kind of cool that Kurosawa uses it in Seven Samurai, where um, Katsushiro and Shino go into the woods, and then Shino kind of loses yeah, her mind she goes when she's crazy. lying down on the flowers. Yeah, like a dream sequence. And huh? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you know, if you look at fairy tales, you know, like it's always this place where the evil lurks. Yeah, the places like if you go like Hansel and Gretel, the witch lives in the forest, or even in Sleeping Beauty. You know, you have the idea that the magical elements uh, of the three uh, fairies that are going to help Aurora kind of be supportive. They're out in the forest yeah, as yeah. well. I mean, Beauty and the Beast, he lives yeah. in a castle in the forest, you know. So the, this idea of enchantment. And that's exactly where we find the bandits. The bandits, the bandits yeah. live in the forest, you know. And Rikichi's wife looks insane when she's coming out of the barracks. Oh, yeah. When they set fire to the barracks, you know. So the idea that the woods... Uh, shape these beings, these people, the bandits, for the ways that they are. They have there's yeah. this supernatural quality to them. They come in and out of the story as ghosts that haunt over these people and things like that. And I find it interesting that Kurosawa would have kind of recuperated that fairy tale imagery and kind of peppered it in throughout. Seven yeah, seven. I, I love that he also doesn't give us too much time in the forest. In fact, in one specific sequence, he lets uh, the samurai uh, Kyozo. Uh, he just lets them disappear into the forest and let the, the forest be the threat in itself, you know, the mystery of what happens to yeah. him. How he gets the gun is left completely vague and then he just shows up again. Exactly. He doesn't. He never mentions it and you're just like, what the fuck happened out there? You know, we don't really even see them yeah. traverse to the bandit's hideout, you know. We just sort of show up there and see it through the forest. We don't yeah. see their trek as such. And even uh, Kikachuro when he ambushes one of the gunsmen, he again, he, he crops up behind him in this sort yeah. of, like, you know, it's, it's very typical of a stage play, you know, he enters a scene as such, yeah. and, you know, he has this great show of bravery that no one sees but him. We see it, the audience, but then no one, you know, to everybody it was reckless, dangerous, and he gets people killed for it. It's kind of like being enticed by the force, you know, he, he got lured yeah. out by what was, you know, what he saw was a chance to be honorable. It's just intrigue luring him from the forest. I, I think that all kind of plays really heavily into that theme. I really like it. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it is one of those magical places where you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. You know, the idea that the, the one of the, I think it's one of the first bullets actually comes out of the forest. It's something that these villagers don't necessarily know yeah. about, but the samurai kind of know about. Yeah, yeah. The, the guns to me in this film always seem like magic, you know? They just, exactly. they, they just, for it's like spell casting. They just take lives. We never spend a lot of time actually looking at the guns. It's very interesting. And it's wonderful. I thought, you know, the idea of using muskets for death, this idea that, you know, to me, they mirror kind of a little bit of, of how Kyuzo is explosive in the way he kind of settles scores with individuals. Sure. You know, there, there are two deaths that are shown in slow motion in the film. And I think that Kurosawa does that well enough because if we if we kind of use the imagery of death that was in hollywood at the time you know if we go from the 30s and 40s like gangster pictures and things like that the deaths are are aren't slow they're just kind of overactive yeah. it's just like someone grabbing his heart Unfocused. or his chest and, uh, yeah yeah exactly and so you don't necessarily feel the death because it's a theatrical death and i think that the two deaths uh showing them in slow motion uh Kurosawa is basically telling the audience to take notice notice that death is something that one must notice. Yeah, actually. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it's really interesting that even by preparing you with those two deaths, when the 
the shots come from the forest and you hear that pow, you know that the threat is real. Yeah, yeah. You know, the audience is set up to kind of care about the deaths uh, when they occur on on, uh, on film. Definitely, definitely. In the film, sorry, at those at those particular moments. So it was really cool. I love that. Um, I wanted to get to something that's a little bit negative for me. I, was, I, I, know I, that did, you I like. did want to, uh, to ask you if, if there were uh, uh, some negatives of the film, but sure, go for it. I'm going to start with a negative because, like I said, to me this was a positive overall experience, and I want to get to my two favorite parts in the film after this. But my negative for it, uh, we were talking just a little bit earlier, and I know that you enjoy it, and I'm looking forward to your take because you're going to prove me wrong. That, well, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I think that the forbidden love story was a little too much. The <laughs> idea that Katsushiro and Shino, I, I, to me, the movie stopped moving forward at that point, and I didn't particularly feel that it was necessary. I understand that you know there has to be a love interest, maybe possibly to get a different audience in, but it felt shoehorned in. I, I, I do feel you're, you're right there to an extent. It does feel like this is ticking a box of what is expected of films, not just of that time, but of big epics in general. You know, we need something to cling right. to as a sort of, you know, how, how much can you relate to a farmer and a set of warriors, basically? You know, you need something that harkens to your modern life. And uh, it, it doesn't matter which culture you're from, romance is... A universal kind of uh, uh, reaction, and even if it were, if it was a sort of um, tribute to the the Western takes on on you know like uh, right. on these on on the Westerns, there's always sort of the damsel to save, or there's always like I would say maybe uh, that's the cynical way of looking at it, but I think it's definitely there. I think it does tick that box that um, that this is. I, I I would understand the argument to feel that that just doesn't jar with the same narrative in a lot of ways because it's obvious it feels slower and it feels oddly focused next to all the other yeah. samurai who just don't get that much time with to, to just sit down and take time out i guess you know feels a yeah, bit jarring exactly. I, I totally get that i mean at the same time in my in the number of interpretations i like where it goes i like where it plays out i like what it says about uh as, as we were already speaking earlier about the like harkens that message of you know get over your old ways you know this is this is war and this is and this is uh these are people changing a little height you know tense at the moment maybe let them just be themselves right. for a bit i i like that we have the time to explore that and again i do, i like how it plays into the resolve more than anything i like how shino ultimately rejects katsushiro i i yeah I, I feel there's something so heartbreaking about that that they they never they never accepted the samurai these these people who worked for free to protect them that ultimately they kind of re revert back to their ways like they always had these prejudices against them entering in the first place that they never felt comfortable with the idea that the few that did feel comfortable with the idea always knew they were getting the worst of the worst and then even when they're in the town and they don't like rape the women like they were predicted to do and they don't fucking steal all their money like they were predicted to do they don't get really any significant thanks or or even like uh, any real gratitude for what and it's not that they needed it, but it feels that the farmers could have expressed it and 
Chino, I think, characterizes more than anyone that significant pull away that the farmers, they're back to work. They're back to what they have to do. The the, the cycle right. continues. Nature goes on. They do their job. The samurai must then depart and do their job, which is to fight these somewhat, in their case, pointless battles, you know, that they don't get any significant joy out of. They don't find any real purpose from, but it, it is their duty. The farmers right. don't see them as people. They see them as samurai, and Shino embodies that motion that she just ultimately the war was the war the passion that she had with Kikuchi which we get a good amount of time spending and building up and learning why these two love each other in some form even if it's rash that that falls that when reality returns that falls apart for her he right. is still he you know he looks for her he, he kind of feel like you see that he almost follows her but ultimately realizes their paths have to go different ways it's her immediate rejection of him the sort of not really looking twice going back to work that she has to rebuild upon her role in society after this blemish in her father's eyes I, I feel that because we spent that amount of time getting to know this romance to getting to getting to see how intense it was to see it drop so completely and go from 100 to zero like nothing i think that's devastating and i think it speaks a lot about the samurai as as a as a role in this in the story it really helps push uh what kambe was that yeah kambe says about you know that um ultimately it's not their victory i i felt that, that was an okay line for the sad it was sad they lost the samurai that they had that the good fighting and the good people that went into keeping these farmers safe but I didn't really feel it until I, I saw Shino push past them you know and so I felt like that was a complete necessity for me I felt like that tied me into how utterly heartbreaking this entire scenario was even if it was a positive moment, it's just this underlying current that it was kind of all in vain. Yeah, I get it. I understand. I mean, and if you put it that way, it makes absolute sense. There's no other way to sure. read it, in my opinion, you know, uh, because I think logically that's what Kurosawa is trying to put forth. But I also, I mean, I think it tries to, you know, address the idea like uh, Katsushiro, let, let's not kid ourselves. It is a coming of age story yeah, uh, from, from his, his point, point of view. view. And he, he goes from being just a village guy to a samurai, you know, and I just think, however, that it goes to show show possibly yeah i don't want to recuperate a cliche but i mean the more things change the more they stay the same again i i've said this on three podcasts <laughs> I mean, but this one's good annoying me because that's this is the one that i agree with you on that one <laughs> i would say yeah and, and i i just think that you know the idea that i think kurosawa is just pointing it out with the film at this point by saying it shouldn't be this way yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, you guys are creating your own divisions. Yeah. I, this this should not have to exist. I think uh, as as a sort of criticism of how not just relationships work, but even like the culture, I assume, though I obviously not incredibly first on it, but it's probably a good criticism of Japanese culture at that point, And even maybe as a comparison to how Japanese traditional culture exists today, I can almost definitely read that that exists on some form and to audiences that would have seen this at the time that juxtaposition that you know the heart nature of the way she disposes of him would have been a wake-up call you know that would have really they would have just went like well that's just that why did that happen why did that happen to him why did that happen to her you know why were they pulled away so so easily yeah that's 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 what i mean i mean their their relationship acts as a metaphor for the hereditary classes of society i mean yeah katsushiro and the village girl are are confined to their social classes when I think that Kurosawa is trying to denounce that I'm, I think that even if we are looking at this movie from, from a 1954 perspective I think that the themes that 
Kurosawa is trying to put forth aren't typical 16th century themes. I think yeah. that they're things that people are still living by at that moment in time. And I think that's exactly what you're saying. Right? But my point was that that's what I got out of it. At the same time, yeah. I could see that if uh, you already knew where it was going... And if you kind of, you didn't buy into them, and you mm-hmm. felt that it was distracting to the story that was already, you know, pretty focused and already very long, I could completely understand that when the, you know, you spend five, ten minutes in a fucking forest scene where she goes a little crazy, you're kind of like, what the fuck are we doing here? Don't we have a, don't nah. we have a fucking bar- barricade to be building? You know, don't we have bandits to be yeah. wor- working against? But anyway, that, that, that was the only thing that lingered in my mind as something that I thought was a negative. I, I that, and, and I'll say it, and I don't care who I piss off. I thought that Toshiro Mifun's performance might have been just a little bit over the top. I'm looking forward to seeing him in other movies because he's a legendary Japanese actor. Yeah. Uh, he's world-renowned. I'm not even going to say Japanese. He's a legendary actor. And I'm looking forward to seeing him in other films because this one did not do it for me. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was it was an uphill battle. When when he first shows up, the character of Kikushio, I uh, I just just didn't like him. I just thought he was obnoxious, and I and I I didn't really care if we were going to get an arc where we were going to be sympathetic to him at some point. I just wanted him to shut the fuck up. But um, I, the way he jumps and clamors around and uh, mopes all the time, yeah. I thought it was very over the top, but but at the same time, I, I love. There was a great comic timing in the performance, and we get a lot more time to witness that as the film goes on. I think the first twenty minutes of his performance, there wasn't a lot to work with. We were establishing that he's the crazy one, and so on. And uh, yeah, I thought he was going to be a bit part, not one of the samurais. So I kind of just wrote him off in my head. But uh, as he plays a bigger role and all, we kind of get more time to linger with him and his interactions with the others, and I I find him very enjoyable. Yeah, well, I mean, like. I said near the end of the film i think he's doing a much better job but i i understand what you mean i mean it is it is his arc he goes from being a buffoon to to, to this this very likable guy and all that i was just saying that like it was very hard for me to get into it yeah because i really really took uh to takeshi shimura the guy who plays kembe i was uh, like my god this guy's swamp yeah is, man uh, palpable i love yeah him. every he's scene he was in i was just I couldn't take my eyes off him. He was just so... Exactly. He was exactly what I wanted a main character to be, you know? Just a calm, friendly, warm character portrayed Mm -hmm. very knowingly. Uh, You know, the sense he just... He brought exactly the right amount of depth and introspective nature to that character. I just loved him. I thought he was fantastic. And and there's always Kuzio, the stone-cold badass. (laughs) I want want to talk about that. That's it. He's, He's in... My my two favorite scenes in the movie. Yeah, yeah. He's in both scenes. Exactly. And my the first one is where uh, Kembe goes to recruit him. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know he's he's getting in, involved in this little fight, this little duel with a guy who's clearly not a samurai. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so the man tries his luck at beating uh, Kyuzo, and he dies as a result. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just this guy's a dumbass who's like, I can beat the shit out of you. Kyuzo says, No, I won. You know, and it just goes to show how committed a swordsman Kyuzo is. How in uh, how 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 in control he is yeah, as an individual, yeah. and his efficiency is impressive. Perfect stance. Calm and perfect execution in explosiveness. Yeah, yeah. I loved it. He's just standing there. He goes through the motions twice, exactly the same. 
and boom, the result is the same every time. And it's fun because you get kind of this practice run where you're like, did you really win? Yeah, yeah. Because you question it as an audience. You're like, okay, I want to see if the, the other idiot is, is actually right. Yeah, yeah. And then when you see he does the exact same fucking move, you're like, okay, I understand how he won. Yeah, I understand yeah. how he sees he won. <laughs> <laughs> It costs someone's life, but <laughs> now I see. <laughs> oh, but that was fucking wonderful. I don't know. Uh, what was one of your I, favorite I, scenes? I'll get to my second one after. Yeah, well, with him specifically, uh, and, and it is one of my favorite scenes. It is that scene where he walks into the forest and comes back. I, I loved everything about it. It's just... yeah. He just doesn't play it like you would if you were the guy who just raided a camp of bandits to get their fucking gun. He just disappears, he comes back, he tosses them the gun, and he just (laughs) sits down and goes to sleep. He's like, I'm fucking tired, basically, you know, that's all he was saying. I did my job tonight, that was that, you know, and we're like... Yeah, my shift is over. <laughs> yeah, just what a stone cold badass. Okay, well, my well, my second favorite part in the film is when the the three guys, when Kyuzu, Kikuchio, and Katsuro, they're going to see Katsushiro. Sorry, they're going to see the scouts in the forest. They're going to see those three guys that came to see. Oh yes, yes. How the village was. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, Kembe tells Katsushiro, "You don't do anything. You watch. Your job is to observe. Yeah. This is a learning curve." <clears throat> and I loved how Kurosawa built the tension around that scene. Yeah. Because Kikuchio climbs the fucking tree. And then Kyuzo is just sitting at the bottom of the tree twirling a flower. Yeah, that's right. And then Katsushiro is sitting just a little bit. It's kind of in the same flower patch that he was with Shida. Yeah, yeah. But now it's used for a completely different thing, right? So Kurosawa builds the tension excessively well because I thought that Katsushiro was going to jump out and tell the other two that the bandits were coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can see it. I mean, just the way that the shot lingers on the, on the close-up shot of his face, you, you're like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> shut the fuck up. Don't you move. You're supposed to observe, you know? And it's kind of interesting because the way that Kuro sets up my reaction to how Katsushiro is going to act is because in the previous scene, Katsushiro runs in to tell Kenbei that the scouts are around the village. Yeah, yeah. And then immediately after, Kyuzo says, okay, the bandits are here. And then Kenbei says, how would you know that? And he says, why else would Katsushiro run into the house? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're like, okay, so we have this guy who knows how to wait for a situation, yeah. which is Kyuzo. And we have the other one who jumps the gun. You know? Yeah. And then with the other scene, just after that, when everyone's hiding inside the houses, Kikuchio's walking around and someone says, get the fuck inside. The bandits are coming. And he's like, what? The bandits? And <laughs> yeah. he's, just, he's, just and he's a, already scared you know, them off. <laughs> exactly. And with the way that Kurosawa sets up the scene with the tree is interesting because now we go in to that scene with preconceived notions yeah. of how these characters are going to act. So Katsushu is wearing, laying down in his patch of flowers and you're like, don't jump out. And then we see Kikuchio that's in the tree and we're like, calm the fuck down. And then Kyuzo's just playing with the flower and you're like, what are you doing? And so you don't really understand what's going to Yeah, what the, what the plan is. <laughs> and it's so cool because the young one waits. We realize that Mifune's character, you know, Kikuchio, isn't as efficient as, a, as Kyuzo. Kyuzo takes out two guys and then after that you see Kikuchio just <laughs> choking the shit out That's of another guy. Bumbling him to death. <laughs> it's so weird because you know Kyuzo's like slash one sword he runs up to the other one yeah, slash yeah, another sword <laughs> and it's just weird because he knew exactly how you could tell the difference of what a samurai is supposed to be yeah, just in that sequence yeah. alone I loved that sequence right. and I loved how Kurosawa sets you up to, to kind of believe oh 
Christ, I don't, I, I don't want him to jump out and do something yeah, stupid. Yeah. And it was really fun because it was really when you're in the hands of a capable director, he'll put you through things like that, build the tension inside you, and he's completely in control at this point. He had me. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, fuck, 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 fuck. And I was like, oh, beautifully played. Uh, yeah. One last point I wanted to make is um, the use of music that I really enjoyed. Because he does pepper out, like, uh, you know, even during uh, Kembe's uh, wonderful speech uh, about uh, being uh, working together. Uh, to defend uh, you know he makes the music rise because yeah. there is some sort of uh, a, a beautiful message to be understood you know so the swelling of the music and I love how at the end of the film he completely contrasts that with silence there is no music during yeah. the battle and I thought that instead of having the music swell as it did uh, during the speech, because that's supposed to be empowering, the fact that he decides to not use music and let the terror swell in the final scenes and let the brutality speak for itself was kind of fun because it adds a level of realism yeah. to the entire battle where you're like, wow, that's a very responsible thing to do as yeah. a director. And it's a very um, tricky thing, in my opinion, yeah. to just feel the need... Uh, to, to, to feel confident enough in your own material to say the images will speak for themselves. I don't need to manipulate the definitely, audience any definitely. further. What they're witnessing is going to be enough. Yeah. I was wonderfully amazed that he chose. That's often the, the hallmark of a great director though, isn't it? The, uh, the confidence in what you're showing people is exactly how they're going to take it. Uh, yeah. So yeah, no, I, I agree a hundred percent on that. Cool. And that's it. You were talking about the numbers and stuff like that. We're talking about seven, you know, seven, if you look at it, there are biblical implications. I don't think that Kurosawa was necessarily trying to bring into that you sure know, yeah seven is obviously one of those we were talking about patterns earlier seven is there and the fact that they're not four at the end that they're three this idea that they form a trinity is also interesting it's prevalent in, in fairy tales as well yeah mm -hmm. so i kind of got the motif seven is also prevalent in, in fairy tales i believe in uh, in um, japanese culture as well uh four is okay a number signifying death and bad luck so that there yeah. are four deaths of the samurais is also pretty fun exactly yeah and uh, that's it you know i thought that it was really interesting that shot that he has at the end of the film at the end of seven samurai this idea of four graves and three survivors i i was like wow isn't that beautiful yeah it's it gorgeous wonderful imagery it's very poignant but, it's, it's lovely yeah, but the fact that the the fact that the samurais are on top of the hill and like the dead ones are yeah on top yeah of the hill, and then you'll have the three remaining samurai which is um shiro chiruji uh kembe and um katsushiro uh, katsushiro that they're dwarfed yeah mm -hmm. by the size of the mountain that they the people that have died actually are much higher yeah you know the idea that you have them and then you'll have the sky kind of in heaven in a sense and then you'll have these people that are doomed to be staying yeah amongst the walking exactly so it's kind of like an honorable image yeah that's that there's honor in death yeah well, they, well exactly I, I think japanese culture is keen on that idea of honor and death and it's also kind of like a sad uh note about the the the, the remaining samurai it's almost like they fail to fulfill their purpose yeah, yeah you know like that's the other thing it's tragic yeah exactly right? that you know the only end for a samurai is death and you know it's inevitable that they all stand together in this one frame four dead three alive the numbers outweigh them it, it's inevitable for all things but for these three specifically there's no other way you know the farmers they sow seeds of life you know they get back to planting they they you know they help you know they get back to ensuring that that village survives but the samurai they their imagery stationed with death 
and eventually right. just a, a winding road, you know, they just leave. <laughs> Uncertainty. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. And I mean, now now that I've seen the, the full film, I, um, I kind of understand why it stands uh, the test of time, in my opinion. And yeah. It'll continue to. And one last point before we close this off. I just wanted to say, we were talking earlier this week, and I mentioned, uh, I was like, hey, so how did you find Bugs Life? Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> the the, the oh, true version was, of Bugs Life. This was a throwaway comment that led to its own fucking uh, rabbit hole. That's the word I was looking for. Kurosawa might have actually based Seven Samurai on Aesop's fable, The Ant and yeah, the Grasshopper. Yeah. And uh, I'm... Li- it would be stupid of me anyway to assume that he didn't know about the fable and that he didn't use that with, uh, you know, things that were going on in, um, you know, Japanese, uh, in Japan in, in the 16th century, what he was going through in the 50s. And the fact that he was very well read in terms of Shakespeare and and, and just in film in general, like the, the fusion that he had with the United sure. States and, and European cinema, I mean... It would be dumb for me to assume that he did not know about this fable, and he didn't actually use it. Never you know? heard of it. Yeah. I think that there is that. Yeah, no, he never mentions it specifically, but yeah, there's kind of this uh, overarching theme that is very similar in the in the, in the way the story is yeah. told. Definitely. And so, I mean, it's very short, so I might actually tack it on to our description. You know, if the people want to read the the the, the ant and the grasshopper, you know, it's very easy to find online. But yeah, I thought it was great that you know a lot of people have been using uh, Seven Samurai to do that. You know magnificent seven even the remake but then you we wouldn't have had the dirty dozen we wouldn't have had like uh, sam peckinpah's the wild bunch you know these are all movies that kind of came out out of inspiration I'd for say, what kurosawa had yeah, done absolutely i'd say even you know uh, avengers there'd be no avengers you know if you want to go for an even more modern example jesus christ yeah you're absolutely right man these you people know, that it's... band together for a greater good so uh do we even bother grading this? No, how embarrassing it must it be for a film. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm not even going to bother grading this. I can't recommend it to, to normal people. Yeah. But to, to, to anybody who's interested in, in the history of cinema in general. There, or must just, be, there must be a decent amount of them since they did vote for this film. Yeah, exactly. Know? So I'm, I'm hoping Over that... Over 50% of our audience said this yeah. is what they wanted to hear about. So, I yeah. mean, there you go. Great. I, I, I really love this film. I can't wait to watch it again. I think I'm actually going to put this on my yearly watch list. Um, It actually gave me a reason to... To maybe go out and get the Criterion version so I could watch the documentaries that come with it and all that stuff to yeah. get all the background information because I'm clearly not well uh, read in in terms of Japanese culture or anything like that and maybe people that are going to be listening to this podcast are going to be like these fucking douchebags don't know shit well I never debated that but that's it I, <laughs> neither did I I mean I did my homework I brought whatever I knew to the to the to the table and if it helps some people out there kind of want to watch the movie then it's great for them and do their own research yeah. but but anyway, for now, it's going to be great. Anything, yeah. anything else you want to add, sir? Yeah, no, I, I'm just I'm on the same boat. I feel I'll be coming back to this a lot of times. I'm very interested to pursue uh, a little more into Japanese cinema. That's the yeah, main focus too. I yeah, got absolutely. from this. Uh, but at the same time, I feel that I'm always going to have this endearing affection for Seven Samurai now. I feel that it's one of those films, it'll get shorter each time I see it. Oh, yeah. You know what I once you know all the patterns and how it plays out and you're just looking for the thing, the minor details in each scene, not even maybe watch it the whole way through, maybe just take it at a half at a time, maybe take 10, 20 minutes out, yeah. just bits and pieces, see how they unfold, see how it handles, uh, you know, storytelling, and, and, and sort of just revel a little more in how well handled this was. I, I absolutely loved the film. I, I knew I had to be forced into it to want to watch it, but take my being forced into it and then enjoying watching it as a good uh, sign that it could happen to you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. 
And so I guess that's about it. That's good. All right. So my name is Jason Michael. I want to thank you guys all for tuning in once again to the Atlantic Screen Connection podcast. This was episode eight on Seven Samurai, directed by Akira Kurosawa. We hope we did it justice and brought a little bit more to the table for you guys to chew on. You can find me at film underscore faculty on Twitter. And I'll put the mic over to Lee. Yeah, yeah. And you can um, find me. I'm always writing away at uh, bigpicturereviews.co.uk. Besides that, you can find me on Twitter. I'm always talking to people there. We're always having a good time. So I'm at Big Pick Reviews. That's it. Don't forget to leave us a little review on iTunes. It's going to help us a lot. We want to know what you guys are thinking. We're going to be putting a little bit more polls out for you guys to vote on because I really enjoyed the experience of actually yeah, getting... Yeah, great. Yeah, just, just trying to figure out what it is we want to review you and things like that getting your your opinions on it is is fun interaction yeah definitely definitely cool uh yeah so that's us signing out thank you very much (laughs) and enjoy seven samurai if you guys are going to brave it out take care bye-bye cool bye this conversation can serve no purpose anymore Goodbye.